Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined by the bruised and battered yet optimistic Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? I'm pretty well, uh, thanks to ibuprofen. Yeah, well, you got to tell us a little bit. I mean, you, you, you look fantastic from here up. For listeners, that would be from the neck up. Right. Uh, but uh, you're a little worse for the wear below that. So what yeah, happened? I, was, uh, I, I, I made a boneheaded mistake on my mountain bike ride yesterday. It was my daughter's birthday, and I was just out riding. And I got a text saying, hey, can we meet you for... Uh, at, at 10 30 and I, oh, that's plenty of time and then i got another text hey could we move it up to to 10 30 uh, to 10 o'clock and i said sure but that means i needed to kind of turn around and, and hurry back a little bit so i was going through one section of the trail that's a little um it's fun it's curvy you go way up high you're swinging and going kind of fast and and i hit a tree and uh, at the top of the hill, and that caused me, I wasn't going super fast because I, you know, I ride within myself. I've been doing this a long time, but it caused me to fall uh, probably about 10 feet. And I landed on my side, so I broke uh, my radius in my left arm. Luckily, no, I mean, just all hamburgered up my arm and back and legs got kind of scratched up pretty, pretty hard. And then I tore ligaments in my thumb. That's actually the thing that's the biggest problem. So that's going to have to have surgery, but. So there you go, oh, man. Yeah. Just uh, and I hit my head really hard. Wear your helmets when you're riding your bikes because that really saved my melon. Well, and that's a melon worth saving. And uh, <laughs> so I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you were able to withstand that. I just feel terrible that. But that being said, I mean, I got to give you major props. You're here after going and getting X-rays and everything. You're committed. You're like, I'm going to do this podcast and. Well, we couldn't do it at the usual time because uh, you were taking care of these medical things. But, <laughs> That's right. I was, at, I was uh, at the doctor. My thumb's pretty black and blue and swollen, but it's, uh, uh, you know, life's got to go on. Got to work. Got to do stuff. And, and I'm out there trying to exercise and stay healthy. That's the, that's the irony, right? <laughs> hurt, hurt yourself trying to stay healthy. <laughs> that's why i go for walks <laughs> exactly exactly that's not the only reason I go well for walks. we I have not, uh, we have a very interesting topic to today because uh you know i saw a post that you made of a recent certification and that piqued my interest i had no idea that you were you were certifying in uh in what you did and so why don't you tell our listeners what 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 recent certification you had well i guess it just goes to show that it's never too late to to learn and to get educated. Actually, I've been doing project management a long time. I was going to say, this is not that you don't have this experience. It's just, you got the certification. So <laughs> I, I've been doing it a long time and particularly in agile. Uh, I own a software company. We use agile uh, every day to run our business. Yeah. And, um, you know, given the way the market is, I thought it was important for me to actually get a certification in that. So, I decided to get a, a, a certification in Scrum and uh, took the test yesterday, Monday, and, and passed the test. So I earned my certification and just decided to make a little post about it and say, hey, everybody, I earned my Scrum certification. So <laughs> so that was that was the post. And then, uh, you know, you reacted uh, positively, as you always do, and said, hey, let's talk about this on our podcast. So here we are. 
So Chris, what do you want to know, Spencer? What I, do you I, think I, our listeners so, and viewers so want to know? Is, Scrum is an amazing process, but for for our project managers that listen all around the world, they mostly know what Scrum is. But if you're not a project manager, what is Scrum? Scrum? What's the idea of Agile, which started, you know, 17, no, how many years ago? 20 years ago for really the uh, to, to improve the productivity of, of software development. Now it has morphed into a process that has infused HR and management and so many different ways of, of running an organization. As you talked about, you're an Agile company, not just a agile software development. So what does it mean? What is that word scrum? It sounds kind of strange. And, and, and then I want to know how that applies to teams, which is really where we're going to go. Well, I mean, the, the, the genesis of agile goes uh, in scrum is one of many different agile uh, methodologies. Exactly. So, but, you know, agile goes all the way back to the 1980s and, and, uh, and started growing in popularity in the 90s. As you said, in the 2000s, it really took off, uh, particularly with Scrum, which is, as I've mentioned, a, a particular methodology for Agile. Scrum uh, is a rugby term. <laughs> and the, the reason that Scrum was chosen was because, as a term, was because uh, in, in rugby, basically what you have is this group of people and they all huddle together in a Scrum. And then you, you see them move their team down the field uh, by progressively passing the ball to each other. So it's right. not one person's in charge of everything. The entire team is involved and they move together. And, and uh, so, you know, the scrum is a kind of a, uh, a change from what is traditionally viewed in project management as a waterfall method where you or very linear you, progression of development, it's very linear. And it's, uh, you know, with waterfall, it's very process focused where, um, agile is more people focused, right? And there are all kinds of difference between agile and waterfall. And it's not to say that one is better than the other, because there are, you know, certain areas where waterfall methodology in certain projects where those methodologies, uh, are advantageous and right. and there's others where where agile uh is is advantageous and i think you know organizations that are looking to one or the other need to look at what they do and see uh which is going to apply and it could be a blend a hybrid of waterfall and, and agile uh, but from a software development perspective as you mentioned agile has really become the dominant methodology for software because it is iterative in nature. It assumes that your clients don't know everything from the beginning, and it accommodates that. So, the the so notion of change is built the into way. it. More, more rapid check-ins rather than just saying, "Okay, we're going to go from beginning to end and then deliver it to you and say, is that what you want?'" No, that's not what you want. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly right, Spencer. Uh, one of the things that I think actually, when you talk about how does it apply to teams, I don't know if we're ready to go there yet. Yeah, but, absolutely. Because I, but, I think some people, we may have lost their attention. They're like, well, you guys are talking too technical. What we're going to be talking about is exactly the opposite of technical. It's, it's actually more cultural when you think about agile. And it, it's, not, it, it's not necessarily about software. It's not about any of that. It is how the team works together to move the ball down the field. As you said, I, that was, you know, that's a, that's a perfect uh, metaphor, which is, of course it was based on. So, yeah. So how do you translate this, this idea or this uh, philosophy, this approach to, to teams? 
Well, there are some principles that I think are very, very applicable to teams. Uh, number one is that Scrum is based on the principle of self-organization. And one of the things that I really like about that is it's empowering your team to basically govern themselves. So when it comes to, for example, uh, determining what needs to be done on a project, what are the tasks and who does what and how long is it going to take? This is not done by a project manager. This is done by the team itself. They actually meet together and they decide what the tasks are. They determine the length and there's some methods that you can use to help them in this process, but it's really allowing them to develop their own plan. You know, they, they say, okay, well, we have this certain sets of requirements or we have these certain responsibilities that we need to meet. We have these outcomes that we need to achieve and to generate those outcomes. This is what we are going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And the team defines that themselves. So it's much more of an outcome driven prop uh, approach as opposed to a uh, mandated from above task driven, like here, you are going to do this. You're going to do that. It's not the project manager figuring out what the plan is going to be. It's actually the team themselves. And so I really like the concept of self-organizing teams. And I think that can apply not just for quote unquote agile projects, but I think that it can that could that could be applied for teams as well to actually give them the autonomy and empower them to actually create their own path. You know, Christian, we've talked a lot about one of the things that that really increases worker satisfaction is is a, a modicum of control over what they do. And here you are advocating to give more control to uh, to, to teams and individuals on those teams so that they can, uh, you know, have some say in, in what happens and in, in the way it happens. So I imagine that for some teams that that's not an easy transition. That's a, again, a big cultural shift. I think back in the, uh, to the eighties when, uh, we have a family farm that has been in the family, my mother's family since 1907 up in Canada. And at one point, this was still when the, the Soviet Union, so before 1989, right, was uh, still intact. They sent a whole group of farmers, and as well as their political uh, attache along with them, to go and, and tour farms in Canada just to learn about you know the process and, and how they were doing it. And, and as they were touring around, one of the farmers went to my uncle and he, he said, you know, come over here. And he says, so, so who tells you what, what to plant? And he says, nobody. No, no, really. I mean, who, who tells you what to plant? Well, we look at the market and we decide what the, you know, future prospects are and, and we make those decisions. And he was incredulous to the fact that you're self-governing here in, you know, in, in Canada or, or U.S. or wherever. And nobody was telling them what to do. And I think that uh, for some organizations, there's got to be a transition from being told or being controlled to all of a sudden be given this freedom, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and there are a couple of components to that. Number one is, um, do you do a top-down versus bottom-up approach? Uh, because if you just, you know, kind of say on from the, you know, the rooftops, okay, people, we are now going to uh, be transitioning from... 
this particular way of managing to a new way of managing, you can get a lot of resistance and and pushback. And another way is a bottoms up approach, which may or may not go anywhere. So maybe you need to mix the two and maybe you need to, to think about uh, a transition over a period of time it being a process that's not just flipping a switch and saying, hey, we are now uh, agile. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. Um, but one of the other things that I think is extremely important and is, I think, oftentimes discounted uh, to a certain extent in agile is that because the team must operate autonomous, autonomously, uh, finding the right team members and putting them in the right roles, it's absolutely critical. And that's not easy to do. And, you know, from a, you, you need, you need people that are going to be willing to work with each other, uh, that are self-motivated, that will hold each other to account, yeah. uh, that are dependable and reliable. And at the same time, uh, may need a, a combination of uh, generalist skills plus some specific areas of expertise that ideally would all be complementary. And these teams, you know, when it comes to Scrum, you know, the, the team size that's generally recommended is somewhere between six and 10 people on a team, right? So, so. That sounds like that T-shaped employee we talked about in the past, right? Right, right. And, and, and so sometimes it's not easy to find those people. So people are the biggest strength, but they're also, in my view, uh, having done this for a while, they are the biggest risk because if you don't get people in the right roles, if you don't create the right environment, which is the responsibility of the scrum master or the project managers to really, you know, create this environment for the people to thrive in, uh, then it can all go, it can all fall to pieces. Right. And, and it, so it's, it's so important to find the, the right people, uh, to, that will complement each other on a team. Well, this Otherwise is, it, it's a serious risk. This brings something up uh, that uh, I've found is that, this, this whole idea of agile teams is really about a dialogic process. It's, it's how the teams interact as well. And so that's getting the, the, the right people. And being able to harness intellectual friction, I mean, basically have conflict, right? Because you have to have a, a, a way of uh, processing different perspectives. If you're self-governing, there's nobody telling, all right, guys, you got to get it together. It's like, all right, we've got to figure out What's the best way to do it? And if you have six to eight people on that team, that means there could be six to eight ideas as to what the direction and, and focus should be. Uh, if you don't have the right people, they you know they they can have a, a problem with conflict. It's it's about pushing and pulling and giving and taking and talking and listening and asking and and responding and you know um, acting and reacting. So you have to have that level. Of, I mean, that's a, those are that's a, an example of agile. You have to be able to adapt and to to give and take and to and, and to go back and forth. You can't just be, hey, this is what I think, and I think you know my way is is best. And so, if you don't have certain conditions on that team, aka psychological safety, for people to throw out ideas and and have them not shut down. So you don't go into this this scrum team with a with a feeling of I've got to preserve my dignity, I've got to preserve my 
my role on the team. I'm protecting myself. I'm not being open and vulnerable. It's not going to work. So having the right people is absolutely key to set this up, as you said, and that's going to take some work in in, in hiring or finding teams, uh, uh, members of the team that already exist in the company to, to put them into a, a, you know, a scrum team. Uh, am I on track here or what, what do you think? Oh, you're totally on track. And I think, you know, one of the things that differentiates uh, an agile approach, uh, particularly when you talk about scrum versus a traditional waterfall type of approach is in the management of that team. Yeah. Because the, the, the leadership, approach or style for a traditional waterfall. Uh, and you see this, if you read job descriptions, if you are looking for a, a project management position and you read the job descriptions online for project managers, they are largely waterfall-based project managers. It's making sure that things are on deadline, that tasks are completed, that reports are filed, uh, statuses are updated, you know, so on and so forth. And it's really, but that's, that's all technical and process. It's really process driven. And I think one of the reasons for that is, uh, precisely because ultimately things are, they success, they succeed or failed based on your people in order to de-risk it, you know, organizations over time said, Hey, we're going to create a process or we can just plug a person in and they do the thing and we will achieve our outcome because we have created an extremely well-defined and documented process. And so here, a are lot you of saying it's because are, of their risk management that they do that? Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a de-risking. It's like, Hey, if you know, to increase the probability of success, we've got to remove some variables and, and the variables could be people's autonomy or, lack of willingness to want to do something or they don't want to. So you just create some very rigid policies and procedures. Whereas with agile, you're basically just turning that over to the team and say, you guys figure out your process in terms of, you know, estimating tasks and those kind of things. And you do your development. We're really more focused on the outcome. And the way we de-risk is we time box things. So we say, okay, you're going to do a four week sprint and every day during that sprint, you're going to meet for 15 minutes. You're going to have a daily standup meeting. And at the end of that sprint, we're going to have a sprint review meeting and we're going to review the deliverable. Which is kind of the scrum, right? Release. That's the, that's the, that's the idea, right? Would so you, would you describe for people who, who have no idea what a sprint is? What, what, what do you mean by that? So instead of having, a project that is one or two or three years long and you're going to deliver everything at the end you've got the your, the customer's requirements at the beginning and you're going to go through this big long process and then at the end you're and going by to the way over. the customer can be internal i mean you could be a, a project yeah they can be an internal company. external customer yeah, so you're, you're implementing that, you're implementing a new software or an erp that could be the project right that's right. That's right. So rather than go like this, you know, waterfall approach where the product comes out at the end, it's iterative. And you say, we're going to do a number of releases in quick succession. So every, you know, two weeks or every four weeks, we're going to do a sprint and we're going to deliver functionality that is determined by the product owner, who is really the voice of the customer. 
So after four weeks, they can review something. Yeah, that's right. After two to four weeks, they could review something. Right. And uh, after and a four week sprint. Yeah, after a four week sprint. And then that can be released. And it doesn't mean that you have to release, you have to do releases after every sprint because you may do uh, one release a quarter or something. And, and so, so let me just make sure I understand. So because of that time restriction, it de-risks because if the product delivered at the end of that two or four week period isn't right, you've only lost two or four weeks. That's right. Right. So, so, so that's actually one of the things that I really like about, uh, agile and scrum in particular is the notion right. of time boxing. And I think that's something that could be applied to teams generally. It's like, Hey, we have a meeting and the time is this, and this is what we discuss in the meeting. And we don't deviate from that. That's it. We just talk about this. If you have something else, then we will talk about it offline or separately. But for this meeting, this is what we do. In a daily stand-up meeting, you got three things. There are three questions every team member asks. What did I do yesterday? What am I doing today? What impediments or issues am I facing? Love it. The scrum master, who is like the project manager, that person's responsibility is to make sure that those issues are identified and resolved. It's very much a... A supporting leader mentality. It's not. And I remember, uh, I wish I would have known about this 20 years ago. I, <laughs> I, I, I started a project and I was hired as the project manager and as, and there were about 15 tape people sitting around this big table and we were just getting started and introducing ourselves. And I introduced, and I'm the project manager and I'm the person that is responsible to make sure that everything gets done on time, you know? I went into more, but I could see another person across from the table rolling their eyes oh, when no. I said this. <laughs> and uh, we were like oil and water. And I wish I had known then what I learned later, which is in this kind of environment, your responsibility as a manager is not to micromanage your people. It is to make sure that they have everything to give them the best chance to succeed, whether that is the environment that they're working in, the computers and the, the workstations and the desks and whatever, all the training and tools and knowledge that they need and that they are kept clear from interference. You know, so you don't have people coming to them all the time. Hey, could you do this for me? Could you do that for me? You're just there to make sure that this team can get the job done and you are there to support them in that endeavor. Yeah. I think that was worthy of a, a, a of a, what do we call those stingers? <laughs> so we have uh, Charles Igway, uh, who, and I can't remember if that's the right way to say your last name, Charles, but I, I just met Charles the week before last in, in Minneapolis. He's, he's from Ontario, and interestingly enough, he's a scrum master, and he's a program manager, and he's an agile leader. So listening to this, he can give us uh, you know his his take, but the, the thing that he comment he makes is the approach is based on the project and the industry. 
And that's kind of what we're saying. It's depending on, you know, if you're, we're, we're talking about agile teams, but that's a pretty blanket statement could be in multiple industries. So we're talking about this, how do we get the team to be agile? And it's, and it's really a, a, a mindset. It's, this is a, a process conditions on the team that allows innovation, right? To be able to have this type of give and take and self, uh, you know, you're talking about self-determination or self-organization. There has to be that psychological safety for us to be able to innovate and adapt very, very quickly. And uh, it's not a work stream. You don't kind of come to the end of this agile team idea. It is on, so becoming an agile team is a forever type of process. I mean, it's not, you're always working on it. Wouldn't you agree? I would. And to Charles point, yes, it is, you know, project and industry specific, uh, just reiterating what I said at the beginning. I mean, I come from an Olympic environment, uh, where, you know, waterfall is still needed for a lot of different things in, in, right. in an Olympic space, uh, particularly when it comes to like the construction of and delivery of venues and transportation infrastructure, uh, and even some of the, the the you know really really core systems where there's a tremendous amount of testing and homologation uh, that are required. What so homologation? That, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's a big word. But anyway, that you know, there's a there's a there's a lot that goes into to all of that. And I'm not saying that oh you should always use agile, or whatever. But I do think that there are some concepts that can be universally applied to to how teams are run and how teams are uh, comprised or, you know, put together and how they're managed. And, and I really, for me, even if I'm not working on a quote unquote agile process or a project, I think the idea of, of, of servant leader or supporting leader is, is one that really resonates with me, no matter the project, you know, and making sure that I'm there for my team uh, to remove impediments to give them the environment that they need, uh, to make sure that they have uh, familiarity with all of the practices of agile. If we're working in an agile environment and they're familiar with all of that, uh, you know, I think that's I think those kinds of of you know supportive that supportive leadership approach I think is 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 uh, especially in today's world. You know, it's it's really really critical. Yeah, for sure. Well, you started off by saying team principles and you named, I think, two of them. One is the self-organization. The team determines the plan. And secondly, find the right people. Uh, I mean, I think that's a, a, a team principle that you need to have. Are there any others that you've learned through this process or your experience? Uh, well, there's some, you know, there's some strategies, for example, for task est estimation where you can walk you can walk people through a process so that they can they can achieve some consensus because as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation oh well i might have six people or 10 people on this team and they all may have a different way of of uh approaching things and they've got their idea that you know how things should be done based on their own personal experience and so there there's some things you can do to kind of level out that playing field uh you know one one is to just understand, you know, when it comes to estimating tasks, like help us come to some kind of uh, understanding of how tasks should be sized. You know, you know one common example is used in the industry is, uh, okay, name a big animal. 
Now name a small animal. Okay. Uh, so you have people talking, you know, whales and elephants and, you know, big animals and small animals being ants and, you know, various critters or things like that. Okay. Well, where does a horse sit in this, you know, and how would you rank that? Would you rank? And, uh, so you're, I know defi- you're defining terms. You're, you're defining kind of relativity in, in terms of effort, you know? So, you know, here are we, and so, you know, one thing that's common in, in software. So I've seen this on projects that I've been involved with for at least 10 to 15 years is uh, sizing using uh, Fibonacci <laughs> numbers. You know, they can continuously spiral and get bigger and bigger and, you know, starting from one going up to 34 or something like this. And okay, well, wh- where would you rate a horse in this? Well, it would be a five or it would be an eight or it would be a 13 or, you know, whatever it is. And so they, you know, when you, and then you have the team members work with each other to kind of convince each other, why should it be a five or an eight or a 13? And, and eventually they will come to consensus. And then you realize, okay, now I have a common baseline here on my team that we can use to, to do our estimation. And, and so there are various, you know, processes and tools and methods that come with Scrum to help people achieve some type of common understanding so that they can work from the same baseline. You know, this is really just the framework of, of agile. It's just the framework. Yeah. The the heart of what we're talking about is, is, is really more cultural. Wouldn't you agree? So my question is, and and by the way, if, if you're listening to this and have comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and I'll do my best to get your, your comments in here. Uh, I, I would like to know um, what gets in the way of of becoming an Agile team. What are some of the things that block and what are some things that, that, that listeners, our listeners can do to start implementing these, uh, you know, these principles or concepts to, to develop more Agile working and performing teams? Uh, I'm curious to hear your input on this, Spencer, because you do so much work with team. And I think that, that these these reasons go beyond yeah agile and scrum they they're broader uh so i'm curious to get your take on these two one i think a big one for me is just organizational inertia it's well this is how we've done it and if we were going to do something a different way it's just so hard to turn around the oil tanker right it's just so difficult it's just so much energy and anytime we ask anyone in an organization to expend more energy than they normally expend then we have a problem and 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 so uh that organizational inertia i think is a it's it's a huge one so I, I, yeah. yeah i mean there, there's several things i think that you can do to address that number one um you're describing what, what, what most of us have to deal with every day, and that's the whirlwind of our regular job. And so to make change, we, we have to simplify and narrow our focus, you know, to just, just one, one thing, right? And, and uh, so how are we going to do that? Um, well, that's where, the, that's where leadership comes in and, and prioritizing and understand what is, the, what is the thing that we have to prioritize most and just focus on understanding you have limited capability in terms of energy and mindset. So you just have to be very, very wise about what you work on. I love the idea of having effective meetings. There's so many different types of meetings. You know, Patrick Lencioni 
he's written books on meetings, you know, the parables I'm, I'm not a big fan of, but one of the best books that uh, he's ever written, in my opinion, was not a parable, was the, uh, is called The Advantage. There's an entire chapter at the end about how to run meetings, and there's multiple kinds of meetings. And you were describing a more of an accountability type meeting. It's just a very narrow focus. It's not what he calls meeting stew, where everybody says, well, I want to talk about this, I want to talk about that. Again, it's narrowing your focus and having a very limited agenda. If you need to have, uh, uh, if there's something that comes up in the meeting that is outside the scope of the meeting, you set up an ad hoc meeting just for that. And the agenda is dealing with that problem where you can innovate and work on those things. So these are, these are management principles. I think one of the things that really will help uh, a, a team develop an agile mindset is I'm going to build on something you said, and now, and now I can't remember exactly, but it's a, it's a leadership style. You talked about servant leader. Uh, there are, in my opinion, this is, this is more of a, um, not a leadership philosophy. I, I think that servant leadership is a leadership philosophy. Leadership style, one leader can have multiple styles of, of leadership and can apply leadership philosophies. But I, I teach these six styles are, are coercive, are authoritative, are uh, pace setting or coaching or, or affiliative and democratic. These are different approaches. And to be able to use all six of those requires an agile mindset, right? You have, to, you have to be able to switch back and forth. And one of the ones that I think is really helpful is authoritative. Now, some people listening to this, Christian, might say, well, that's, you know, that's not very, that, that sounds counter to servant leadership or, or removing roadblocks. But in fact, it is the research shows it's one of the most um, positive results in creating momentum in the right direction. You know, you talked about overcoming that inertia, and so having somebody that's authoritative says, "Hey, this is what success looks like. Let me show you what success." Is. As a matter of fact, we have had during this last scrum, we had Christian working with Charles. And they really did a great job in dealing with this problem. I want to call out that behavior, and I'd like to see more of that. So it's a way of saying, here's what success looks like. In a sense, it's kind of what you were talking about, the, you know, the terms, the Fibonacci numbers and all that. But it's, here's what success looks like in how we interact with each other. Let me demonstrate it. Let me call it out when it happens. Let me recognize it. And sometimes that's hard for some managers to to, to feel like, well, you know, my people should just do what they, what, what's right and, and because that's what I pay them to do. No, you have to let them know when they're doing a good job, but not only for their sake, but for everybody else's sake so that they can celebrate and see what it is that they get to duplicate. So that's one idea. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I love that idea. Um, you know, I think in a broader perspective here, uh, and, and, and this comes to your, your earlier question, which is, you know, what are some of the challenges that organizations might face as they try to move to a more agile team? I'm not talking about agile methodology, but to having more agile teams. Right. Um, is, is that some of the traditional roles in the organization may no longer exist, or they may look very differently, or they may require different skills because uh, again, coming back to to agile and Scrum specifically, uh, you know the the roles uh, and the skills that are needed. I think to be an effective uh, Scrum master, which is really more of a facilitator, 
are different than what we would typically see in project management. And, and so one mistake that organizations can make is say, oh, well, we're going to we're going to do things a little bit differently down here. And I'm going to take you that we're in this role of project manager. I'm going to put you in this new role here and I'm just going to expect you to do it. But they're not the same and they require different skills. And so the if, if you're shuffling people around on your board when you're changing organizations, you got to make sure that those people are, are fit for that role and uh, that they are properly supported so they can transition into this new role. Because if you just say, okay, Spencer, uh, we're not going to have you uh, serve as the product owner. And you're like, well, what? And I'm going to do that because you've been close to the client and you know their needs. Okay, well, that's that's one thing. But there's another set of, there's a bunch of skills that go along with that. And, and sometimes we just, you know, kind of haphazardly kind of toss people around because they're in this particular part of the organization or they have this particular title or this level of seniority or whatever. And we're not really thinking through like, well, what are all the skills and competencies that are needed by these people in order for them to actually do well in their job? And you end up putting square pegs around holes and it doesn't work out. Oh, I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> I saw a slide go up. Was yeah, that, that was a, that was an accident. So uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to see if I could put some of my uh, X-ray slides up there, but I didn't. I didn't have that. Um, so how do you? So that so that just means that you've got to take time to identify what are those skills that are required for for this new role. It, it, it takes some time to stop and, and think. And how does that help an organization? Well, when you slow down to figure out what's really required and what are the you get the right people in the in the right seat, things will work so much better. You facilitate uh, a a transition to a process of work that will. I mean, the whole idea of of agile has has increased productivity and in, in development of software so many fold because it it's just a it, it's such a much more productive way of getting things done than command and control and you do this and then I, I won't do anything until I have to go back and ask Christian what to do next. We empower people. And this is one of the things that I do with organizations is teach leaders how to empower their team members. And sometimes it takes a decade or more for people to kind of figure it out. There's a great article that was written by Ralph Steyer, who was the former CEO. And I think I've talked about this in the past, but he's the former CEO of Johnsonville Sausages in the 80s. And he wrote an article in, I think it was 1990, about it's called How I Learned to Let My Workers Lead. But the idea was to get them to be uh, you know, problem solvers, to be critical thinkers. And that means you need to have people that are willing to take initiative on their own and not just waiting. And, and I think we train our people how to not take initiative because a lot of times it's our it's our way of leading it's how we were taught how to lead by the you know by the greatest generation you know command and control who fought two world wars or teaching you know many of the people who are alive today my generation and your generation learned from them you know from the baby boomers who learned from the greatest generation and and those are processes that are not agile it's just a lot of command and control so we have to overcome that i i believe um, 
I think we have to get really good at asking questions and, and not just talking all the time, which is not what we do on a podcast, right? We're talking all the time. And so learning how to ask questions on the, you know, when we have that scrum meeting and, and focus on, on just a few things. So during that last scrum, how did it go? What, you know, what did you notice when it came to sharing of your ideas? How were those received? How did you, how involved were you in that process? How, how, how safe did you feel with sharing those ideas? What do we need to do to, to increase that, that safety so that you can share more, we can reduce that resistance to this, uh, this next sprint so that you can bring those ideas and have that, you know, what we were talking about here, uh, intellectual friction more productively. And I think one of the, you know, when it comes to scrum, one of the, again, in the time boxing elements, one of the things that I think is really great is, is, uh, they are, you know, there are different meetings that are, that are recommended in scrum as part of the methodology. And what are those? And, and well, there's a, there's a range of them, you know, from, uh, sprint planning meetings at the beginning and, uh, you know, developing the project vision statement and so on and so forth. And there are these meetings that happen at the beginning. Then you have the meetings that are going on in the middle, which are really these daily stand-up meetings. And you're just charting the burn down of your, of your, uh, you know, how, how, you know, what have we completed? What's remaining? Yep. But then at the end of the sprint, there's a sprint uh, retrospective. So there's a review meeting with the, with the with the product owner and the and the stakeholders and then there's a retrospective meeting with the team where you go over all those lessons learned and what can we apply in the next sprint and then there's also a retrospective meeting at the end of the project because usually a project is going to have multiple sprints in it and can be over an extended period of time and so you have a, a retrospective sounds like a uh, lot of communication of christian there's a lot of it's a lot of communication but you know one of the it it, it will work if you're disciplined because if you Try to use your daily stand-up meeting to get into retrospectives and what is what worked and what did, then you're just you don't have time for that. It's one of the values of time boxing. Like you know what, we're going to go over all of that stuff at the end of this sprint. We're going to have a retrospective meeting. We're going to focus exclusively on the lessons that we've learned and so on and so forth. Yeah, but I'm I just, daily stand-up meeting. I think that's too many meetings. And that's it. What if somebody says that's too many meetings? I I I hear people all the time say I'm sick of meetings. I hear I'm, I'm having too many meetings and you just rattled off a whole bunch of, you know, retrospective and stand up meetings and, and weekly, you know, scrum meetings. And, and at the end of the project meetings, what do you say to that? Uh, I, I say, I'll just talk from my own experience. I love right? it. I'll share so, what I think. <laughs> all right. So I have a software company. We use agile in managing our, our development projects. I meet once a week for an hour with my head of technology. That's it. I have one meeting a week. Now, he is meeting every day with the developers in the stand-up meeting. They do yep. it online, but it's very, very short. And they're just focused on these three things. Okay, this is what I'm doing today. This is what I did yesterday. Here are some issues, if any, that I am facing. That's it. You know, and then he works to resolve those. If he needs some of my assistance, he might send me an email and say, hey, Christian, we need to set up. Uh, we need to set up so and so in Zoho so he can work on the API between Zoho and Raconto. Okay, I will set up the account or whatever, and then it's done, right? So he raises an issue, and then that's it. But literally, I meet with him one time a week for an hour. 
that is definitely tolerable. That's definitely doable. At the end of the sprint, you know, he will have a retrospective meeting, but but they don't take incredibly long. But the nice thing about it is, is okay, okay, I know I have these meetings. I'm not getting called to 500,000 ad hoc meetings. I, I have these meetings. I understand where they are. It is what it is. And the results are this. Uh, several months ago, I was talking with a, a, a gentleman who also owns a software company. And I was showing him our product. At that time, the product had been in development for about a year. He says, Christian, your product looks amazing. This software looks, it looks like it's been developed for at least three years. Why? Because we adhere to these methodologies and it allowed us to iterate really fast. And guess what? It, it didn't take us, we didn't have to meet all the time. I'm, literally, I'm having one, one meeting a week with, with my head of technology for an hour. Oh, that I could have one meeting a week, right? Some people are listening to this saying, and, and you know, I, you, I've talked but about because my... the people are empowered, Spencer. Good. They can I love do the it. Work. They don't have to come back to me all the time with, I got a question about this. I need to do that. Okay. Well, let's set up a meeting. We'll talk about it. We don't have to do that because they're empowered. And they also, we were very lucky and fortunate to find the right kinds of people to be on our development team that they don't need that intensive amount of handholding. And sometimes right. when you get new people, you gotta you gotta hold their hands and you gotta walk them through a process. But but I would say you get this thing humming, you don't have to have tons of meetings. It sounds like a lot of meetings, but it's actually not a lot of meetings. So I had a my mentor Kelvin, who I've talked about many times on the show, he used to always say it takes an awfully good meeting than to have no meeting at all. And so to me, the key is to have good meetings. And to me, what is a good meeting? A meeting is where we're actually getting work done. We're not just meeting to hear ourselves talk or to bloviate, but it is to, and many times it's the leader of the meeting who is asking the questions and listening to the team who is saying, here's where we want to go. Here's what we want to, we should be doing work in the meeting. And so Lencioni in his model says, we should be having more meetings, not less. And I, I asked that question or before because I hear so many people say, I have too many meetings. Well, then you're having the wrong kinds of meetings. Learn how to manage your meetings better. So we're coming. Christian, you know Carla. We got Canada showing up today big time. We got a big comment uh, from Carla and a question from her to you. Christian mentioned his experience dealing with personality conflicts in project delivery, i.e. dysfunction. Since the scrum master is the facilitator, what can the team do when two team members have conflict and don't work well together? What do you think? <laughs> Take him out Boy. to the woodshed. <laughs> uh, you know, every situation is different, but I think uh, at the beginning, it really starts with awareness. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's helping people understand the, you know, what is going on and the impact that it can potentially be having. Uh, I, I really subscribe and I have for almost 30 years subscribed to the Robert Mager, Peter Pipe, uh, analyzing performance problems. We've talked about this, yeah. the, the, the flow chart. We've talked about it on this podcast before, which is define the problem, uh, then uh, set expectations, then provide feedback, 
uh, see if there are fast fixes, then look at consequences. And I think, and, and that has served me well for 30 years, you know, kind of going down this checklist of checklist of things. Um, but, you know, when it comes to people having conflict, it's, it is what it is. We, we, it's part of the human experience, right? We, we, we all have this conflict. And I think it's a bit of a myth to think, oh, well, in order for my team to excel, like everybody just has to love each other. You know, oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> I mean, we look at some of the most successful sports teams, for example, right? Yep. And uh, on some of those teams, you know, some were destroyed by conflict, but there are other teams that thrived uh, in spite of having uh, conflicts. And, it's, uh, you know, I think you know, absent more information, you know, one, I would kind of go down this checklist, uh, the, the Robert Mager, uh, Peter Pipe checklist, because I think it's fabulous. Uh, uh, another is... Um, can you put that in the show notes? <laughs> Uh, yeah, or I can. I don't know know if it's online or if you got to buy the book. I, the minimum, I think we can put it in the the link to the book on Amazon. Yeah. I just think that the the flow chart is so intuitive, it's so powerful uh, for analyzing uh, for am, analyzing performance problems. Um, well, for her, ultimately, is, we've got to figure out a way to get people to march in the same direction. That's right, and and, and so I I deal with this all the time. Like each other. Carla, you know, people who don't work well together today, I actually had, had a, uh, these are not people who don't work well together, but I had a one-on-one -on -one with a CEO and his wife. And specifically we reviewed their, their pro scan behavioral uh, and communication and leadership assessments. And we were able to identify where they are potentially in conflict with each other. And it, it's fun because they, they realize where some of the friction in the relationship comes from. And it's not that, hey, Christian, I, you know, I don't like you because of this. But you may think of things differently than I do just because that's your, how you've been made up. And that's how you communicate. That's how you've developed over your lifetime. And when I start to realize that you bring a perspective that I don't bring, then the whole idea of this intellectual friction becomes uh, healthy because it's you're gonna I, I'm gonna want your perspective because if everybody if if it's if we're only using my perspective the chances of us having risk or error go up but if we look at things from multiple angles and perspectives then we also mitigate risk but it, it one of the ways to overcome that dysfunction is to just recognize those differences exist that are not personal. I mean, you and I are so opposite in, in so many ways, but because of that, I think that's one of the things that, that makes this show great because you, you see things and approach things differently than I do. And it's a, it, we, we have different strengths and that is, I think in itself, a strength. I have a report that uh, I'm able to look at those individual reports with two people and very quickly identify where the friction is and help them be aware of that and to begin to awareness is the first step right i mean once you're aware of uh how you behave and how others do and, and why that's causing some of the friction you can start to lay down your swords and and improve the uh the communication process there is a report that i have it's a it's a side-by-side -side report and it it's great for helping people uh, ask questions and begin to uh, overcome some of those areas of uh, of conflict that that can can exist. I mean, some people are extremely detailed and have to know all the answers before they do anything. Other people are like, you know, let's just figure it out as we go. I'm more comfortable that way. Um, 
and those two things, those two approaches can be at odds. Some people are, let's change, you know, every day. Others are like, hey, we've got to have some consistency in our process. And so that's a logic style versus a communication style. And those differences can really come out knowing what they are. There's, there's some very easy ways to help you work through those dysfunctions. I don't know if that helps, uh, Carla, and I know you've done, you know, a pro scan with me, but you got to have it done as a team. And then you start to see the dynamics on the team. And I'll give you an example of, of how this worked for solving a problem with one of my teams. So I happen to be on the board of the National Speakers Association Mountain West chapter. And this year in January, we had a retreat and we had a specific task to do. And that was to redo our, our uh, bylaws. It hadn't been done in, in years. Well, I did a team diagnostic for everybody on the board. And, and basically, I discovered that 85% of the team has a certain high, high uh, trait, and only 15% of the team has a different way of thinking. That's a real problem. We were all high extroverts, all wanting to just talk and yap and, and, and lose focus. And so knowing that, I said, guys, as we go through today, this is going to be a problem. We need to empower these two other people over here to keep us on track when we start veering off the off off the <laughs> off the track and be able to ask the questions that we may not be asking and so knowing what the team makeup was allowed us to get through we had fun and we finished the process in time we were able to understand our own deficiencies as a team and where we would you know where we needed help and ask for it and i think that's one of the things that knowing the makeup of the team actually helps you do is to appreciate those who think differently. And, and, uh, and in this case, when you have a very homogeneous team, make up for that, for that uh, weakness. Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, thinking back on Carla's question, and she's, she's awesome. Um, I've connected with her on LinkedIn as well. Isn't and I really she? Enjoy reading yes, uh, sure. her posts and, and, and things. Um, uh, it's, it's true that, that in some cases, you're going to have and I have found this with with uh, working with developers or more technical people. Sometimes they look at some of the aspects of Agile, or particularly Scrum, like these planning meetings and so on and so forth. And it's a bit of drudgery for them, right? It's like, right. I just want to get in and code. I, I want. I just want to be writing code all the time. <laughs> Why do I have to go through this? You know, this process of task estimation. It, it just kind of feels like a waste of my time. I know what it's going to take to, you know, for me, and I don't really need to participate in these things. And that's something that you have to manage. And, and it really depends on the personality of individuals. And uh, uh, so I, I appreciate Carla raising the point because it is, I mean, you, you, we come on a podcast and we talk about these things and everything sounds like rainbows and unicorns and it's not, you know, oh. it's, it's, it's hard. For, yeah. It's it is very hard. very hard. Well, listen, we're we're up against it. We I can't even believe we've oh, been yeah, talking gosh, for almost an hour. Uh, any any last words on how to get that that team uh, to transition to more agile? And any other last words for the benefits of it? I think you've done a great job. <laughs> Just give you the last word, Christian. Uh, at the end of the day, and I said at the beginning, uh, but at the end of the day, this is all about people. You know, and the and the agile is based on the concept that of people, not process. You know, people are first and foremost. Process comes afterwards. The process is there to facilitate facilitate people, but it's really about people and empowering people. And and 
that's what we're here to do, right? And as leaders today, is uh, we'll be most exp- effective if we can uh, adhere to principles that allow people to uh, be empowered uh, to to figure out how to do things. Let them learn and grow. Uh, uh, I also think uh, we not talked about this at all, but uh, the principle of failure is baked into agile. It is okay to fail. Uh, you can do something and it can screw up. And uh, because of the highly iterative nature, usually those failures are small and they don't have dramatic consequences on the entirety of the organization for years to come. But, but I think uh, it's important to give people the freedom to fail. And learn so Christian, I, I, I'm so glad you said that. I mean, I just, so I had one of my coaching sessions just today, a great, bright young man, high, high conformity, uh, you know, lower on the dominant side and extroversion side. And he had a homework assignment. And one of those was to find some ways to automate a, a process that's been quite manual in, in, on his team. And I asked him about that. He said it was a big fail. I had a big, big fail. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I did some research. I spent hours and I didn't find uh, an answer. I said, why is that a failure? You spent two hours figuring out a way that won't work. And there's another way out there that will work. But he, he's like, Cause, you know, I talked to him about Thomas Edison who found the, you know, the, it doesn't matter if it was 1,000 or 10,000. But the idea is, you know, you know, he learned so many ways that wouldn't work. For the light bulb, it is moving you towards that. And failure is a way to help you get to the success that you want. But for some people, that's easier than for others. And for this individual, having the just the concept of failure was it's, it's very uncomfortable, and it feels like you're not making progress. And that's where having a profile to help them listen. Anybody with your set of traits, this is a problem with, and it's okay. You can it, 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 so it helps him to to be aware that that's. That's not abnormal, and he can start to shift that thinking. Well, Christian, for people who want to reach out to you and hire you to manage their projects, uh, you know, as big as the Olympics, you know, whatever they have, I mean, how do they find you? Uh, just come and visit me on LinkedIn. Just look for Christian Napier on LinkedIn, and uh, I'm happy to connect with anyone and look forward to uh, talking with viewers and listeners or those who you know uh, who may need help with some of these uh, projects that you're working on. And Spencer, you have helped teams for decades from CEOs down to the, to the line staff, uh, working with organizations to help them deliver high performing teams. And how do people who want to create high performing teams and organizations reach out and connect with you? I hope that the same way LinkedIn is so easy. I just have conversations all, you know, every day on that. So, or you can go to our website, Altium, A-L-T-I-U-M, leadership.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Spencer. I wish you a safe and speedy recovery (laughs) from your unfortunate uh, bicycling accident. Uh, For those uh, listeners, Spencer's showing the the results on his arm. He's got a... (laughs) His arm looks like a scraped up bruised peach. (laughs) All over my body. It's all over my body. My face looks great. Although I had, I took a picture of myself yesterday. I had apparently had dirt on my tooth and somebody said, did you chip your tooth? I said, no, I just had dirt on my face. And so anyway, all right. (laughs) Until next time. All right, listeners. Thank you so much. Please like, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll catch you again soon.
Well, it's not going to play, so I'll play something else. Mm -hmm. 